And so, Lord God, we ask now that uh, Jesus, who is the Word and is the end, would be implanted in us, that you would help us to preach. That, Lord God, you would speak your Word into our hearts and eternal seed into these temporal hearts living in space and time. God, we ask you for a miracle. And so maybe you, you can just ask him now. Just pray this silently in your heart after me. Pray, Father, I would like to be begotten from above. In Jesus' name, amen. We're preaching through the Revelation, you know, and the seventh seal has been opened. The seventh trumpet has sounded. This is Revelation chapter 11, verse 9, 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. As we preached last week, the ark had been lost for 600 years. So this was a big deal. They see the ark in the temple, and the ark contained the law, the Ten Commandments written on stone. The law is a description of the good. It gives us knowledge of the good. It describes what good looks like, what good acts like. You may remember that the seven churches at the start of the Revelation are called to conquer. To conquer is to know the good and to do the good. In Ephesus, it's to find the love that they had at first, remember? In Smyrna, it's to be faithful unto death. In Pergamum, to repent of idolatry and porneia. In Thyatira, it's to renounce false doctrine. In Sardis, it's to wake from the dead. In Philadelphia, they must endure suffering. That's good. In Laodicea, they're lukewarm and need passion for the good, which is good. The law is a description of the good, and the law is in the temple. Quite naturally, then, this is the reason most folks go to the temple or to the church. They want knowledge of the good so they can choose the good and thus make themselves good. Good things come from knowledge and hard work. That's what we, that's what we think. That's, that's what we tell ourselves. And that's why I went to college. I wanted knowledge of good geology so I could make myself a good geologist. I even took a class on ethics, which is the knowledge of the good itself. I, I thought that if I knew uh, about the good, I could choose the good and, and be good. So this is where good things come from. A place like this. In fact, this is promotional material for the University of Colorado, because at least that's what we think. That's what we're trying to say. This is where good things come from. It's a classroom with smiling faces and the transfer of information in a controlled and safe environment where personal dignity is honored and each student has an equal opportunity to seize hold of the good and make themselves good. And I tried to make myself good. I worked really, really, really hard, and I got almost all A's, including in my class on ethics. I got an A. <laughs> I got A's, and it, and it, and it really kind of made me happy when my neighbors got C's and D's and, and F's. I, I rejoice at their failure, because I thought their failure meant my success. 
In other words, I had knowledge of the good, and it, it kind of made me bad. Well, this is promotional material from the University of Colorado. I got this off their, their website. Promotional material, but it equally well be promotional material for just about any modern American church or evangelical discipleship and mentoring program. I mean, all you need to put underneath that picture is something like Grace Church or New Life School of Discipleship where good things come from. We naturally assume that we go to church to take knowledge of the good so we can choose the good and beat our neighbors. We assume that we can choose the good because we assume that we have this thing called free will, which is what we talked about last week. We assume that we have free will, a will that can will what it will, undetermined by any other will. We naturally assume that you go to the temple to take the law. But here's the problem. You couldn't just go to the temple and take the law. Like we talked about last time, the law was kept in a coffin, a roan, an ark. If you tried to take it, if you tried to take the knowledge of good and evil, it would kill you. You'd die. Saw that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You'd die. You couldn't just go to the temple and take the law. Instead, you'd go to the temple and, and you'd watch. You'd go to the temple and you'd watch or you reenact this, this story. Massive portions of the Old Testament are devoted to that ritual, to this ritual story. Most Americans are utterly bewildered by it and terribly offended at it because worshipers would bring sacrifices and offerings, primarily animals that were slaughtered by priests who would then drain the blood into these bowls and offer the meat to God and to each other and then back to the worshipers in these ritual meals. These, these meals were like a communion with God and each other and, and the priest. Once a year, trumpets were blown, and the high priest would take the blood in these bowls behind the curtain and sprinkle it on top of the ark, making atonement, which means at, at one minute, the top of the ark was the mercy seat and throne of God on earth. In the Revelation, John's looking at the top of the ark where he sees a lamb standing as if it had been slain. Jesus is the lamb of God. He's the will of God. He's the judgment, which means decision. He's the judgment of God. Jesus is the will of God in flesh. God alone is good. Jesus is the good in flesh. Jesus is the good. Do you hear that? Jesus is the good. We can't simply take knowledge of the good and make ourselves good. Once we tried to take knowledge of the good on a tree in a garden, we took knowledge of the good, crucified the good, and discovered we were not good, but evil and dead and no longer free. 
And you see, that's not just a story about something that happened in a garden long ago on Mount Calvary. It's not just a story about, about something that happened in the Garden of Eden. It's a story about something that has happened, and it happened in the garden of your soul. And it happens in the garden of every soul. Along about what? Maybe the age of two, three, four, maybe, maybe five. We take knowledge of the good and try to make ourselves good. But you can't just take the law and do the law. Jesus summed up the law in this way. Listen closely. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Well, as soon as love becomes a law, you can't fulfill the law. For if love is a law, it just reveals that you don't Love with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. If love is the law, your heart, mind, soul, and strength are divided. Why? Because something is telling you that you should love. Precisely because you don't love. So once love is a law, you become divided and you begin to should on yourself, which means love is a law. If love is a law, your will is divided and you, my friend, are no longer free. When you take knowledge of love to make yourself love, you learn that you don't love love. <laughs> That's what you learn. And God is love. Well, a good will is God's will, and God's will is free will. God loves love. God is love that always loves. Nothing is stronger than love. God loves in perfect freedom. So God is free will. Absolutely free will. Free, free will in human flesh is Jesus. Jesus is free will. So last week I asked you, do you have free will? If so, how did you get it? Did you conquer it? Capture it? Nail it to a tree? Did you take it? Well, if you did, you must be proud and dead and not free because you just crucified freedom. Did you take it or did you receive it as a gift? If so, man, you must be grateful. Not proud of the good as if you own the good and possess the good and created the good. Not proud of the good, but grateful for the good. Grateful that you've been loved by love and now you just like get to love everybody in freedom. Free will is God's will. Free will is good will and good will is God's will. And God's will is Jesus. You cannot make good and if you try, you'll crucify the good and discover your evil. You can't make good, and yet you must, you must be good. Jesus said, you will love, you will. And that's the good. So where do good things come from? Where do good people come from? You know, that's what every father wants, it's what every mother wants, a child that loves them in freedom. 
A child that loves to love because they've been loved. Revelation eleven nineteen. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Last week we saw that the ark is a picture of God's will, which is good will, which is free will, and the temple is us. It's us. Revelation eleven nineteen. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. You know, if I lost you in my long theological, philosophical, and sociological sophisticated introduction, this is what I'm trying to say. Truly good things don't come from a place like this. Like this. Truly good things, they come from a place that looks more like this. Good morning, honey. I'm sorry, I didn't make you breakfast. But our son did. Da -da -da. Happy Mother's Day, Mommy. Oh, honey, this is so great. Are you the sweetest? Thank you, sweetheart. I helped a little bit on the eggs, but he did the toast all by himself. Well, mm. this is the best toast I've ever had. Really? Yes, really. Ugh, I am so lucky to be your mommy. The day you were born was the best day of my life. What was it like? The day you were born, it was amazing. <laughs> okay, only a few more centimeters and you'll be ready, okay? I should have opened the bigger because the whole guy. Just breathe. Oh, my God, it hurts. <laughs> were you scared, Mommy? Oh, no. I was excited. I had a big smile on my face the whole time. Didn't I? Oh, yeah. Guys, we're gonna have to perform an episiotomy. No, no, don't cut my butthole, yeah! Mom, were you scared? Why does it look like that? No, but Daddy don't get scared. I'm not ready! You're not a man! The nice doctor came in and told us it was time. So I think we're... Where have you been, you stupid whore? And then she told me to give one little push. He's counting one more push. Oh, my poop, baby! No, no, baby, no! Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> one little push, and you were born. And you were the most beautiful baby in the whole world. What, what, why does he look like that? Why is he yellow? what happened on the best day of my life. <laughs> Understand now? We can't make good, but we must give birth to the good. And I apologize if you were offended by the video. I think it's fairly accurate, right, Tom? Tom is a labor and delivery doctor. It was accurate. I apologize if you're offended by the video, but perhaps you're offended because you thought that the temple 
should look more like this and not at all like, like this. <laughs> you thought church should look more like a school or a classroom and less like a maternity ward. You know, I, I really didn't make good at the University of Colorado. Not much good. I mean, I've forgotten pretty much everything that, that I learned, and it really wasn't that good. I mean, it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't wonderful. It wasn't delightful. It didn't warm your soul. I didn't make good, but I've watched my bride give birth to the good four times. The video was pretty accurate. There have been moments when each of these children loved me in freedom. And honestly, it took my breath away when it happened. It was good. So where do good things and good people come from? Verse 2. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, travail, and the agony from Basanizo translated tormented every other place in the revelation. Agony. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth, literally birth pains and tormented to deliver. Tormented? Why? To deliver. What? A baby. What's that? New life. New life. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven horns and ten, or seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's like a quote, right, from Psalm 2. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days, which you remember is 42 months or three and a half years or in Bible lingo times, time and half a time. It's a broken seven. It's the time of trouble in which we live. So who's the woman? And what's being born? Well, pretty much all Bible commentators agree, well, it's got to at least be Jesus that's, that's being born. And as we've seen, Jesus is the free will of God. Jesus is the good in flesh. Jesus is being born. Okay, but who's the, who's the woman? Many Catholic, trans, or Catholic commentators have suggested that the woman is, is Mary. And that makes some sense, but it's a pretty big Mary. It's a pretty large woman. We'll soon read that she gives birth to other children, those that keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So some have argued that the woman is Eve. You'll remember that God's very first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. That is, don't make the good, give birth to the good, Eve. Satan tempted Eve to take knowledge of the good in order to make herself good, and instead of giving birth to the good, she crucified the good. And everything died. Jesus is the good. You know, Scripture also refers to him as the eschatos Adam, the ultimate Adam, which would make us the eschatos Eve, the ultimate Eve, for we are his bride, We crucified the good. 
who is the eschatos Adam. And yet he rose from the dead and now he produces fruit through us, his bride. Wild, crazy stuff. Well, anyway, some say the woman is Eve. Some say she's Mary. Some say she's the lineage from Eve to Mary, which is also Israel. Genesis 37, Joseph has this dream about the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, the family of Israel. God referred to Israel as his bride. So the woman is at least Eve, at least Mary, and at least Israel. And that lineage includes some pretty questionable women. Matthew points out four. Remember, one of them is Rahab. The Canaanite harlot on the other side of the walls of Jericho, remember, uh, that after the walls come tumbling down becomes Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. Another one is Tamar, a woman who pretended to be a hooker in order to con her father-in-law Judah into delivering to her his seed, the promised seed, so she could give birth to the seed. Uh, another one of them is Ruth of the cursed nation of Moab, and another is Bathsheba, who was an accessory to murder through adultery with, with King David. And then, of course, uh, there's Mary. A poor, unwed, pregnant teenager who gives birth to the Messiah in a cattle stall because no one would have him in the end. Jesus is the good thing. But if you were to make an accurate movie of where he came from, we could never show it in church. The woman is Mary, Eve, Israel, and you. Mark 3.33, some folks say, hey, Jesus, your mom's looking for you, and this is what he says. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And they would say, hey, man, I'm not the mother of Jesus. Well, if you do the will of God, you are. Because Jesus is the will of God, and the will of God is is Jesus. He's goodwill, and that, my friends, is free will. You can't make good, but you must give birth to the good. So the woman is Mary, Eve, Israel, and anyone who submits to the will of the Father and then gives birth to the will of the Father. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, or my mother, and brother and, and sister. Check this out. Brothers and sisters have the same mother, right? So the mother of Jesus is the mother of, of you, which means we are the woman and we too are also born of the woman. The woman is like the people of God giving birth to the will of God on earth. His will is, is Jesus. The Father's will is Jesus and anything that's good is somehow Jesus. James 1.17, all good giving and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Jesus is the light. The light that enlightens all men, says, says John. Galatians 4, Paul writes this. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. We are born of the Jerusalem above, and we are the Jerusalem above coming down. We'll read that at the end of the book. Coming down from above, when we love in freedom, we give birth to fruit, Paul goes on in Galatians to say. We give birth to fruit that, that is eternal life, in specific, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. You don't make the good, you give birth to, to the good. However, you do make evil. Paul calls that the work of the flesh, as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. It's what we make the work of the flesh. It's what we make when we take knowledge of the good in an effort to make ourselves in the image of God. It's porneia. 
It's trying to pay for love. That's what the word means. It's idolatry. It's jealousy, envy, competition, every other way in which we try to save ourselves because we don't believe that we're saved. Anyway, we can work evil, but we must give birth to the good. Galatians 4.19, Paul writes this. My little children, how I am in travail, birth pains until Christ is formed in you. Paul thought that he was giving birth to Christ in the Galatians. I think he actually, he meant that. You give birth to Christ. You give birth to Christ in every good deed. You give birth to Christ in people that you love. And check this out. I think you give birth to Christ in you. The new you. John remembered this crazy conversation that Jesus had that the rest of the other guys seemed to have forgotten. Um, I I think he remembered it because he saw it in the Revelation uh, chapter 12. Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's a Pharisee, and Jesus says this, Nicodemus, unless you are begotten from above, Ganethe anothen, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Ganethe can be translated um, uh, born or even better, uh, begotten, I think, because Jesus is the firstborn, prototokos, firstborn from the dead, firstborn of all creation, writes Paul. He's the firstborn, so we must be begotten from above uh, in order to be born out of this world and into the kingdom of God. Got, Got the picture? John 3, 16, Jesus says this. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his monogene. It means only begotten, which means only one is begotten of God, which means that for you to be begotten from above means that Jesus, the only begotten, is somehow begotten in you, like he's eternal seed planted in the womb of your soul. John 3, 16, God gave his only begotten son that all the believing in him might not be lost but have eternal life. Understand belief, which means faith or trust. Trust in you is Jesus Christ rising in you. Faith, hope, and love in you is the free will of God in the temple of your soul. That's cool. Anyway, you're the woman. And you're giving birth to a new you as well as an entire new creation. Anyone in Christ, writes Paul, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul actually writes that the whole creation, Romans 8, groans in travail, waiting to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Crazy stuff. But this is my point. All free things, all glorious things, and all good things come from travail. And not from us and our efforts. Not from us, but maybe through us. You can't make the good, but you will give birth to the good, for in this way, God is making you. God is good, and God is making you in his image. Verse 5, the woman gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the peoples, the nations, with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels 
fighting uh, against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says he saw this. John continues, and I heard... A loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him with a good education and trying really, 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 really hard. Okay, I lied about that last part. It's not what it says. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, Jesus is the Lamb, and he is the word who stands on the ark of the testimony in the temple that is your soul. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. They conquered by losing their lives. That's a wild thought. Verse 12, therefore rejoice! Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river uh, that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Sounds like a temple containing the ark with a slaughtered lamb standing on a throne. He he, he went off to, to war. We'll talk about all this later. But for now, I hope you see that we're actually the woman. And we are the offspring of the woman that also become the woman to put it in other words we're the bride of Christ (laughs) giving birth to the body of Christ fulfilling God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth fill the earth with what (laughs) the life of Christ we're the woman in travail in agony anguish and torment to deliver and we have an enemy who battles us with a river that pours from his mouth that enemy is the father of lies and so the river that comes from his mouth is a river of lies meant to sweep you away with lies he's been thrown down he's in the maternity wing and he's lying to you right now if satan was in the labor and delivery room with amy schumer and that Saturday Night Live sketch? What do you suppose he'd say? Because you see, that's exactly what he's saying to you right now. I think this is, is what he'd, he'd be saying, something like, oh my gosh! 
Something is incredibly wrong. You better seize control. That's what he said to Eve in the garden. Something's wrong. You better take the good and make yourself good. You are your own helper, your own savior. You are even your own creator. And by the way, I think that's why the earth swallows the river of lies. You see a sunset, you smell a flower, you smile at a newborn, you, you see creation, and suddenly you realize, hey, I'm not the creator. I'm the created. Whew. A lot of pressure off <laughs> That's good news. A woman who's given birth realizes that she didn't create the baby, but the creator used her to create the baby, to make the baby, and deliver the baby. It's not like she didn't have to try. I mean, it's not like she didn't have to labor. Oh yeah, she had to labor, but all the labor was surrendering control, not seizing control. If she seizes control, she only makes uh, the torment worse. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. She only makes the torment worse. And then Satan might say something like this. This torment, this torment will never end. This torment has no purpose. Basanizo comes from basanos, which means touchstone. That is a stone used to test precious metals like gold or silver. In God's creation, torment always has a purpose because it comes to an end, a telos, a perfection. That's what the word means. Jesus is the end. When a woman is in travail, her body is being tormented to deliver new life. That's the purpose of the torment. Well, Satan might say, the torment has, it has no purpose. Just give in to, why don't you quit? Just quit. There are many ways that we seize control and try to quit all at the same time. They're called the works of the flesh. We quit giving birth to love. We attempt to save ourselves from the torments of love by refusing to love by getting drunk, by taking pills, by telling little lies, by going to the mall and just buying a bunch of junk. It's called idolatry. We do it by attempting to purchase love rather than give birth to love. That's called porneia. Or even by crucifying love. We turn love into a law. And that's sin. I think that's original sin, actually. But you see, there are all ways of saying to God, you can't fire me, I quit. The good news is that no one can quit forever. The baby will come. The kingdom will come. But you can't save yourself by seizing control of yourself with yourself. You have to lose yourself to find it. That is yourself, your, your new self, uh, that is. Well, Satan would say something like, your labor, your pain, your anguish, your, your torment, they, they have no purpose, so you better just seize control and quit. That's what Satan would say. What would the bridegroom say? Oh, honey, nothing's wrong. Actually, everything's right. You're having a baby. Don't quit. But, sweetheart, if you can, surrender control. 
People say weird things to women in labor. <laughs> Relax, rest, let go. Now push, 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 push. Relax, rest, let go. Push, 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 push. Sweetheart, if, if you can, sweetheart, let all your pushing come from a place of rest. What a crazy thing. Who would say such a thing? Six days you will labor, and then you will rest. Actually, strive to enter that rest such that all your labor is rest. Surrender control, and the good will happen. And when it happens, you will be forever grateful for the good. John remembered another crazy thing that Jesus said to the disciples. The other guys uh, forgot because I think John saw it. John 16, verse 20. The night Jesus died, he said this to the 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, full of sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a person has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead. And he says, I will see you again. Is that because he will be like unborn back into the womb of this world? Or is it because we'll finally be born out of the womb of this world into the forever and new and eternal world, the new creation? You see, if so, that means that the day you die, the day you truly die, because sometimes you can die without really dying, which is maybe where we are right now. But anyway, the day, uh, the, the day you die is the day that you are truly born. And all your sorrow turns into joy. And yet even now, I, th I think the bridegroom might say, surrender your sorrow and it will turn into joy. I don't know if I'm saying this well, but I think we each have a body of sorrow. And for a believer... It's already turning into joy. Recently, a friend of mine sent me these pictures by the Polish artist Igor Morski. See, I think we each have a body of sorrow which we constructed ourselves. We began construction when we first took the knowledge of good and evil and began attempting to make ourselves Good. It's a body of sorrow because we cannot make ourselves good. We can only pretend to be good. It's not who we really are. Who we truly are is a little child of God. The body of sorrow is the person that we think we make with our supposed free will and knowledge of good and evil, and it's a prison. It's a prison because we're trapped inside and no longer free. It's not true. It's false. It's not living. 
it's dead. But if we think it's life and we think it's true, then the presence of Jesus, who is the truth and the life, will feel like torment. We'll think he's tormenting us when in fact he's setting us free. We'll think he's death when in fact he's the death of death, the life. We'll think that we're dying when in fact we're being born. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, writes Peter, that we might die to sin and live in his righteousness. Live in his righteousness. You see, the righteousness of Christ is who you truly are, the Father's beloved son, beloved daughter. Who will deliver me, writes Paul, from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You are the righteousness of Christ. And at the cross, you are delivered from this body of death so that when you're finally born, you'll be forever grateful for who you are. Not proud of free will, but forever grateful that you get to love in freedom. You will know good and evil and constantly choose the good. You will love. See, that's not a threat, that's a promise. You will love because you've been loved. You will be the image of God because you want to be the image of God. You will do what you will and will what you do, absolutely. You will be entirely free and nothing will have been wasted. You see, that old false self is the very place where the true self is formed and eventually born. For where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You see it? Your old self is like a womb. And I think that's why we much each give, give birth in, in anguish. When a woman gives birth to a baby, when a woman gives birth to a baby, she's given birth to a baby, she knows, and I checked all this with Susan, she knows that she didn't make the baby. It's more like the baby made her into a mother. She didn't make the baby, but God used her to make his baby and so make her. She didn't make the good, but she gave birth to the good and... and became good. So more than anyone, she knows that the good is a gift from God. And more than, than anyone, uh, she enjoys the baby. No one enjoys a baby, a child, and then a full-grown person like a mother. Now, if you're sad because you haven't had a baby, listen closely, bride of Christ. Your old man will give birth to your new man, and you will be forever grateful for who you truly are the image and glory of God. You won't be proud, you'll be grateful. In other words, you'll be free. And did you know that everybody is somebody's baby? Everybody is a gift from God. They, they didn't make themselves with free will, they are being made by free will, who is God. They can't make good, and you can't make good, but by the grace of God, you'll give birth to the good, and then you will love the good. So where do good things come from? Well, you see, it's not through taking knowledge and working really, really, really hard. Good things come through being known and then going into labor. 
To put it in church lingo, it's not by works of the law and the power of the flesh. It's by the confession of sin and the renewal of the mind. That is repentance. To put it in the lingo of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not by feeling really, 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 really guilty and then trying really, 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 really hard. It's by admitting that you're powerless to change and trusting in a power greater than yourself to change you. In the lingo of the temple ritual is sacrificing your old self, your ego, and receiving your new self, the righteousness of Christ. It's what we do every time we come to the communion table. We confess our shame that we took the life of the good on the tree. And we believe God's mercy that he gave the life of the good on uh, the tree. Maybe even the very same tree. Uh, we confess our shame that we cannot save ourselves and we crucified him and we believe his mercy that he let us crucify him that he might save us from ourselves. We confess our shame and we receive eternal seed in our place of shame through the sacrament of communion in the eternal covenant of grace. We're the bride, and he's the groom. And that's where good things come from. We don't make good, but we give birth to the good. God is good, God is love, and God is free. Years ago, I lived in Golden, and I worked up on Lookout Mountain, you know. So every day, I'd, most days, I'd drive up the mountain. And I would get gas at the Conoco Station at the bottom of 40, you know, at the bottom of the mountain. And I got to know this young kid that worked behind the, the counter. Great kid, but not too bright, not, not very bright at all. This actually happened. One day when I went in to pay for the gas, I noticed that there were just balloons and streamers and pictures all over the wall. And I said, wow, this is quite a party. <laughs> what happened? And he said, my wife had a baby. And then I said something like, oh gosh, I didn't know she was pregnant. And he said, dude, neither did we. It was really weird. We were like at home, we are watching TV, just chilling or whatever, and she started getting like these pains, you know, in her abdomen, in her, in her ladies' parts. They were really bad, they were really bad. I mean, I was so worried about her. We called the doctor and we rushed her to the hospital. We didn't know, it was, I thought maybe she was gonna die. We thought maybe it was a tumor, maybe it was cancer or something. They rushed her into the emergency room, the doctors took her back into this room, they examined her, then a doctor came out and he said, it's not a tumor, it's a baby. She's having a baby. And then they like transferred us from the emergency wing to the maternity wing. And this proud young daddy stood at the counter showing me pictures of his new baby. Imagine how things changed when they heard nothing's wrong, everything's right. You're having a baby. Right now, some of you are in anguish. I mean, real anguish, agony. And you're being tormented. 
Maybe you're in anguish because you had a baby and lost a baby. Maybe you're in anguish because you wanted to have a baby and you never could have a baby. Maybe you're in anguish because you had a baby that turned into a man and then he broke your heart. Maybe you're in anguish because you tried to make good and yet you always seem to make bad. Maybe you're in anguish because you tried to be fruitful but your life feels barren. In fact, it feels desolate and now you think it's over. Listen closely, Bride of Christ. about your agony, about your anguish, about your torment. This is what it means. You're having a baby. For on that night, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, drink of it, drink of it, all of you, my body, my blood. He is our bridegroom. And he is eternal seed. And he is the one who's being born. You know, I, I learned this. It's not just the mother that experiences anguish. <laughs> it's also the one being born. Maybe even more so. So I think he would say this to you. I know your anguish. Don't quit. Don't quit, but, but do surrender. Surrender to love, and you will give birth to love, and you will always and forever love love. I am love. And do you see? I love you. And so, Lord God, we thank you that you are love. And your word is the word of love, our Lord Jesus. And that you are making us in your image and your word won't fail. You, you won't fail. But now, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to trust you so that when we see you, we do not run and hide in the darkness and space and time, but we surrender to love and we sacrifice our old selves and receive the truth which is our new selves and love love forever with you. Look, God, I'm just asking, I'm just saying, I guess we believe and I'm asking help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. This whole message has really been about the topic of how do we change. And do you understand, it's not by learning stuff and trying harder, 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 trying, 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 harder and harder. It's by confession and repentance. It's what we do each time we come to worship in 
in church at the sanctuary, which we named after the temple. We confess our sin and believe God's grace. But it's also what hopefully you do in relationships throughout the week. And so that's why I hope that you all have like a small group or friends. Some of you have marriages where you do exactly the same thing. You know, that whole song about I see the Lord high and lived in his temple and everything and saw it. Well, it's all talking about what relationships of love look like because where is the Lord's temple? Look around. It's all around you. And Jesus is the one that told us to walk in the light and confess our sins to one another. And you know what? When you confess your sins to someone you love like your wife and you just say, I've just I've been an ass, you're sacrificing. You're sacrificing your ego. And you're receiving mercy. Hopefully, hopefully you're receiving mercy the knowledge of who you really are. So all of that stuff in the temple is a picture of what love looks like. Well, Kathleen Kegel on our staff is a pastor of congregational care, and we have neighborhood, uh, we have life groups, different forms of groups. If you'd like to help her, help her have, she, if she'd like to help you form one, and so I'm just hoping that, that you would do that. But, but you see, that's how you change. Confession of your old self, and repentance, which I think means receiving your new self. I'm forgiven. I'm free. One other thing, we have a website. And I want to mention this because I think pe people forget it. On the website, uh, you can also go to our other website, Relentless Love. But on either one, you can uh, get the sermons, click on the sermons, along with a manuscript that Kimberly types up from, from, the, from my notes and then makes into a manuscript along with discussion questions, things like that, that can be used in small groups. You can also subscribe to the messages. I mention that because preaching through the Revelation is just crazy. It's the most incredible picture, and I would love for you to read the manuscripts because they include footnotes and things that I haven't been able to say, and there's no way that a person can really ingest all of this. While I'm preaching it, reading through it, I'm going, oh, wow, there's that too, and that too, and that too. So I hope that you, that you do that. You get, the, you get the manuscript. Third announcement, Colfax Marathon is happening today, so if you're going to the Dead Sea Scrolls, you need to probably provide a little extra time, and you might have to figure out how to drive around it because if you just drive through it, they'll throw you in jail. The deacons will come and visit you, but it's a bad, it's a bad deal. Don't do that. And uh, then lastly, we have members of the prayer team down front. They would love to pray with you. And oh yeah, if you're in the new members class, we're finishing the second part of it today downstairs uh, in the, by where the couches are, and we'll finish in time to get to the, easily to the Dead Sea Scrolls, all right? Um, so now is when I say, believe the gospel, amen. <laughs>